Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome to podcast number six. We're sitting here at the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri in the Herman London Studios. And today's December 9th, a couple days, I think it's 15 days before Christmas. And on today's podcast, we've got some excellent topics. We're going to talk a little bit about mold problems. I'm going to give a little overview of Trey's class today. He put on a clinic, a seminar, if you want to call it today. I'm going to go uh, talk a little bit about how you want your life to look and feel and questions that you might want to ask yourself. I've got a realtor tip. We've got a in-studio questions from Joey, the producer. I'm pretty excited about that. And we are excited to bring Jeff Merkel into the studio for a real estate investor interview. So actually, first, I'm, I'm just going to start off with uh, Joey here. He's looking at me. He's excited. He's got two questions for me. One is kind of a Joey's listener question, and then one is just a straight-up Joey question. Which one are you going to hit me first with, Joey? Hey there, Adam. Big fan of the podcast. Love the levels. Love the way it sounds in my ears. <laughs> Nothing to do with your voice. Just the, the levels are great. Production value of a dream, right? Of course. It sounds incredible. Well, I, of course, had my girlfriend just okay. uh, get me ready to ask you a question. Are you going to shout out with her name or not? Erica, a big fan of the podcast. She listens at work when she should be doing other stuff. So <laughs> okay. she loves your voice. Glad to hear that. But when she was moving out of her last apartment, her landlord came up and said, hey, I have a duplex, and you know what? You should buy it off me, and you should live in one side and then rent out the other. Make money, and then that'll pay your rent at the same time. And she was just curious if you had any experience with that, any stories, any tips, something you could tell her about living in the place that you also rent out. Okay, was this the place that she lived in? Did she live in the duplex already and when it was presented to her? No, it was a totally different building. She didn't even look at what the guy was talking about, but the, it sounded sweet, whatever he was selling. Okay, so in general, a lot of people do that. You mm -hmm. know, That's kind of one of the amazing things about a duplex is that you can buy it, you can live in it, and you can have the person... It's basically like having a roommate that you're not a roommate with who is sitting there paying probably a good part of your mortgage, if not all of your mortgage, depending on all the numbers and, you know, kind of helping pay your utilities, maybe helping take care of the yard, that type of stuff. But you don't actually have to, you know, clean up after them in the kitchen or you don't have to wait for them in the bathroom or whatever kind of thing, you know. So we do see a lot of people doing that. One of the duplexes that I talked about a few weeks ago on the show, there was a duplex on the hill I was talking about buying with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. We didn't buy it, and actually it turned out kind of a weird story, but one of our realtors sold it, and they sold it to, or they helped a client buy it, and the person who bought it is going to live in the upstairs unit, rent the downstairs unit, and, you know, the person, so the person downstairs is going to pay a good chunk of her mortgage, you know. Now, I'm sitting here with my mortgage calculator, and I, I pulled up HermanLondon.com, clicked on tools, clicked on mortgage calculator, and I was ready to kind of go through numbers. I don't know if you know, you don't necessarily know specific numbers on the square feet of the property or I do not know how much she was asking her for it or anything like that. I, I, okay. So what I would tell you is in general, definitely not a bad idea, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, that's what my girlfriend did. My girlfriend, Molly, she, when we met, she lived in a duplex that she owned here in, here in Maplewood. She lived upstairs, tenants lived downstairs and they pay a very large part of her mortgage. It's great. I love it. I mean, what, what, what more than I could I like than meeting a girl who's also a real estate investor who, you know, added two units to the relationship? That's perfect. <laughs> My goodness. So, so, yeah, I would say that it's definitely not something to shy away from immediately. You know, let's talk about the numbers. Let's go through it. We need to know the condition. We got to get it inspected, you know, all this kind of stuff. But definitely not something to shy away from. Definitely something to consider. Well, I'll be sure to tell her to do that, and then she can move out of our place. I can get rid of her. I think that's what we're going for here. She can make her own money and then pay for us together. Well, that's great. Or she could buy it, and she could rent out both sides, stay living with you, and now she could have extra money to bring to your relationship. She could take you out to dinner more often. I would love that. My goodness. Or buy you some new microphones for your production here. That's perfect. And I have another question for you. This is personal to me. Well, hold on a second. I'm not done. If she does decides not to buy this duplex, I might want to buy it. So let me know. Oh, definitely. I'm going to tell her. That <laughs> or Jeff, our, our uh, investor um, guest today, might want to buy it. So let us know. All right, what's your next question? I'm going to give you all the monies and all the details. <laughs> this is just for you, boss. Okay. Well, for me, I just lived in an apartment, and I moved out. And my landlord loved his place in Hawaii. I feel like I didn't see that guy for a year. You know, he did have a property manager, but 
when I moved out, he had my security deposit for almost like three months. And then I was like, well, what are you going to spend that money on? And do you want to give me that money back? He said, I'm waiting on the painters to come in. I don't really know, you know, how much it's going to cost. And eventually I was like, you know what? Just give me whatever you think is fair. So I'm curious if a landlord has to give you a listing of what he's going to spend his security deposit money on or if he has to do a walkthrough with you kind of legally if that's part of the the process of getting that security deposit back. Okay, so two questions. How long does he have to give you your money back? Mm -hmm. Or I guess three questions. How long does he have to give you your money back? How detailed does he have to be about what he spent the money on that he's not giving back? Mm -hmm. And are you allowed or does he have to have you at the walkthrough? Perfect. Okay, and the, so the the problem with uh, like taking your questions live without having any time to prepare is that I'm not 100% certain about my answers. So we might have a little asterisk, you know, check out HermanLunder.com on the podcast page, and there might be a little asterisk that I'm changing my answer here. Not know? a lawyer. What do they? I'm not an attorney. <laughs> what do they call that, like an editor's note or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? But here's my general answers to that. 30 days. He's got 30 days to either give you your money back or give you an itemized list of what repairs he's going to do. So first question, how long does he have? 30 days. Second question, does he have to give you an itemized list? Yes. Does it have to be extremely itemized and have copies of the receipts and pictures of the handyman over there doing the work? No, not not necessarily. When we are, you know, we do property management here. When we have a tenant who is not going to get their entire security deposit back, then we... You know, we have our cleaner go over there. We have to get new carpet or we have to do whatever was necessary. And we will give them an itemized list within 30 days. Here's what we had to spend the money on. You know, your total security deposit was $1,500. We had to spend $633 of it. So do the math. You're getting this much back, mm-hmm. right? And so that answers that question, right? Of course. And about the walkthrough thing. Basically, my understanding is that he had to give you the option, the right, the ability to be at the walkthrough. You, he can't just go over there at some time when you're not available, when you don't even know about it, and go, oh, dang, this place is in terrible condition. You know, I just had my contractors come over and fix everything, and it cost me $1,500. See you later. You get no money back, right? You can actually look if you Google the Missouri Tenant Law Handbook. There's a you know, there's a Missouri government document that's out there that kind of covers some of the stuff. I should tell you that my answer, or my answer is based on what I know about Missouri, and I guess this could vary state to state. In general, he has 30 days to give you your money back. Yes, he has to give you an itemized list, and yes, he has to give you the option to be at the walkthrough. You know, I just dealt with something like this, actually. I was helping a landlord who just had a tenant move out. I'm going to help him sell the property, right? But he's out of the country, actually. And the tenant had already moved out. I didn't have a key to the property. He didn't have any way to get me a key except for meet the tenant who just moved out at the property, basically do her final walkthrough with her. <laughs> and then I will take pictures, uh, send them to him so he knows the condition. And that's sort of my chance to evaluate the property so I can tell him what price I suggest he listed at too. And so I went over to the property. You know, I, I talked to the tenant who no longer was living there. We agreed on a time. We were going to meet at, you know, 5 o'clock on a Wednesday or whatever, a time that was convenient to her. I went over there. She didn't show up. I'm waiting around. I'm waiting around. It's 530. She didn't show up. So I leave. You know, what else am I going to do? And then she calls me the next day. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't show up, you know. And I'm like, great. So ultimately, she ended up just bringing the keys to our office. I ended up just doing the walkthrough on my own, you know, because – we, she had the opportunity to be there, and she didn't show up. So I don't think it's – my interpretation of the rule is that I don't think it's okay for you as the tenant who just moved out of the property to just say, that time won't work, I need a different time. That time won't work, I need a different time. That time won't work, I need a different time. And then not show up and then hold the landlord accountable for doing the walkthrough without you. Mm-hmm. you know? So we have to be reasonable here. He, he should give you a reasonable chance to be at the walkthrough, and you should be reasonable about actually meeting him there, you know. Well, um, he, he was definitely a great guy, so I'm not going to hold any of that against him. I'm going to make him take me to Hawaii one of these trips, maybe, <laughs> whenever he goes back, and we'll call it even. So that's perfect. Yeah, if you have any problems, you can take him to Small Claims Court in Hawaii, and then mm-hmm. you can fly over there and have that part, be part of your expense. I love it. So uh, just as a side note, final walkthroughs are have the potential, I guess, to be really super awkward. You know, I've had some really uncomfortable final walkthroughs because, you know, 
Um, as an example, I have a house on the hill. These two guys were living there, and they were, you know, not necessarily the cleanest guys or whatever. One of them moves out, just had nothing to do with the property anymore. The other one was really busy, so he sent, like, his mom and his grandma over to clean the property, right? And I think his dad. And so they're over there sweating, sweating, cleaning, 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 eight hours, ten hours, two, a whole weekend or whatever, right? And so then I show up. They call me. It's ready. I show up on a Sunday night, and they're standing there covered in sweat, covered in dirt, you know, like we have just worked our butts off to clean this place, and I'm supposed to do my final walkthrough inspection, and I'm walking around, and I'm like, well, this is still dirty, you know, and it's like <laughs> that is super, really, extremely uncomfortable to look at someone's grandma and say to them, you just didn't do quite a good enough job cleaning this property. I'm going to have to pay someone to come in here and clean this property, you know, or I think in that case also it was like, thanks for spending the last entire weekend cleaning this property, but no one's mowed this lawn in three weeks, you know, so I'm going to have to pay someone to mow the lawn, you know, it's it's just really uncomfortable to have to kind of have that confrontation to look at someone and say, you just didn't do a good enough job and I'm going to have to pay someone else to do it. And I'm going to take that money from you, you know? So anyway, little high horse there about final walkthroughs. They can be rather uncomfortable. So I don't blame landlords for not wanting to have the tenant there when they're doing them, but for your own protection, you do have the right to be there. That's crazy informational. You just got so detailed, and I loved it. And I'm going to be quiet for the rest of your talking. So thank you so yeah, much for all Yeah, please do. No more talking. You Let's know. turn the volume to knob on this now. There we go. <laughs> uh, while we're talking about that, I'm going to give one more example. It kind of applies to me. When I was a tenant in college, I lived in an apartment in Columbia, and my apartment was very dirty. And when I moved out, my mom and aunt and father and everyone came over and cleaned, and we cleaned, and we cleaned, and we cleaned. And that landlord actually gave us a list of everything we check, you know. And so, or I'm sorry, of everything they check. And it was everything from the little track on the sliding door. You know, they're checking that for dirt and all that kind of thing. I'm using that as an example because, you know, I guess it was within 30 days. I don't remember exactly. But they, they gave us back a list, an uh, itemized list and of all these cleaning that they had to do. And they weren't going to return our security deposit back to us. Well, my mom had a problem with that because I think their list had things like, you know, you didn't clean the track on the sliding door. And I'm guessing that they were maybe a little bit less honest about it. You know, they were probably used to maybe keeping a little bit of people's security deposits and them not kind of fighting back about it or arguing or whatever. And so we did, we were able to argue and we were able to let them know that we did in fact clean that track on that sliding door. And so I think in that case, we were able to get our security deposit back, but Basically, it's never easy. It's never, I mean, it's not never easy, but in general, it's not easy and it can be quite uncomfortable. You know, there, a lot of the properties we deal with, the, everyone keeps everything really clean. Everything's in really good condition. Sometimes I've seen properties that are returned to us in better condition than what they got them in, you know, which we appreciate that. So that's all I have to say about that. You had some great questions, though, but um, all right, let me talk a little bit about mold. Basically, I had a situation this weekend where I had a client who we found him a house. We went around, we looked at all these houses, and one of the houses we came across, they just fell in love with, literally fell in love with it. And so it's kind of one of these things where I always know when someone falls in love with a house where they kind of get a little bit giddy. And, you know, then we, so we left, we went and we looked at a couple other houses and they wanted to come back. They wanted to bring their child and make sure that their child liked it. Now their child is about 20 months old. So I don't know how we were going to tell if he liked it or not, but we went back, he was running around, he seemed to like the house. So we ended up writing an offer, we got an accepted contract, everything's all good. And then this morning was their inspections and turns out they found a problem with mold. And the, basically, you, you know, we'll go in some houses where there's really obvious mold, you'll, you'll go into the basement and either you'll see you know kind of black marks along the along the wall next to the floor on a lot of different walls you'll see a lot of different kind of problems like that sometimes you'll see drywall that's been cut up two three feet from the floor um, in this case we didn't see any of the mold when we were over there but the inspector found it you know that's the great thing about an inspector so you know when we were looking at the house we didn't spend a whole lot of time in the house maybe five or ten minutes but we were walking in and out while she was over there for longer for the inspection asterisk that's why i love it when my clients go to their inspections i want them to learn anything they can about the house and in this case 
Her nose told her something about the house because she started having problems, and it was because of the mold. So now I'm going to meet a mold remediation company over at the property tomorrow. We're going to find out what it's going to cost to fix the mold, or I guess I should say remove the mold, and we're going to most likely try to get the seller to pay to remove the mold problem because if they don't, then in my opinion, they're going to have to disclose to any future buyer that there's mold in the property and and most buyers are going to kind of walk away. So mold is an interesting thing where they, it kind of has to be disclosed. No one wants to deal with mold, but uh, I think we're going to have probably not too big of a problem getting the seller to agree to pay for professional mold remediation. Um, I could go on and on and on about mold. I don't know how interesting it is, but there's, I've, I've seen people just kind of use bleach water to get rid of mold. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I've seen people show up in you know, the white hazmat suits with breathing respirators to get rid of mold too. So in this case, we're going to go probably closer to the white hazmat suits with respirators type of solution because we really, really want to make sure that when the client moves into the property that they don't have any more problems with this at all. And luckily, the, you know, the mold is the issue now that's causing her allergies, but the real question is what's causing the mold. And luckily in this case, I think it was like a leaky uh, water line to the refrigerator as opposed to you know, a foundation problem that's allowing water in. So we can fix a leaky you know, water line to a refrigerator a lot easier than a major foundation problem. So um, our investor who's sitting here waiting for our interview just slid a napkin across the counter to me and he said, Mold is gold. And I think what he's trying to tell me is that a lot of investors don't mind mold, you know, we because it scares off a lot of buyers. And that's true. I think that most people will be pretty scared off just by the word mold. And so it's a great property for an investor, and which in this case I think is going to play to my buyer's advantage because if the seller we're going to say, hey, we want you to fix this mold. And yes, it's going to cost you a lot of money. But your option is either fix this mold for us, we still buy the house, or don't fix this mold for us. Probably drop your price by a ton because you're going to have to disclose the mold. And then some investor is going to buy it. He's going to pay for the mold remediation, and he's going to sell the property and make money. So mold is gold. Anyway, all right, changing the tune a little bit. You guys remember Trey from a few weeks ago? He was on the podcast, and today Trey put on a clinic. This is one of the first clinics that we invited kind of anyone, everyone. We encouraged our realtors to bring two or three or four friends with them to the class, and we had a really good turnout. Um, And today Trey talked about a lot of different things. Two of the main topics were body language, I guess reading body language, and overcoming self-defeating messages and behaviors. So when I was writing down my notes about this, it's just, you know, you sit in Trey's classes and you just get excited. And understanding how to read people's body languages is nice. So you can tell if someone's bored by you, if they're not trusting you, or if if they're uncomfortable, or if they're feeling anxiety, or if they're lying or whatever. Uh, It's nice to kind of have some key information about how to read and how to understand people's body language. But it was cool to kind of understand how what my body language or what your body language is saying to the person who you're talking to. And I think I probably personally have a habit of maybe being a little bit rude or where my feet are probably turning a little bit away from someone when they're talking to me and I, you know, and I want to be running on to go do my next thing or whatever. Um, but body language is, was an interesting topic. I'm glad Trey talked about it. That, that was probably the most sort of like, technical sales related stuff that Trey really talks about with us because usually it's more along the lines of this kind of next topic, which was overcoming self-defeating messages and behaviors. And, you know, you people, you hear people talk about the tapes that they play in their head or whatever, you know, and people kind of make excuses to themselves for why they can't do something. And it was really neat to hear his tips on how to overcome those things. And basically, um, how to get past the whatever struggles that you're having and how to think positively and, you know, accomplish your goals and reach the success that you want to reach. So, um, just, I guess a shout out to Trey for a great class today. And I was feeling excited and feeling motivated by it. So I wanted to mention it on today's podcast. One of the other things that Trey talks about when I started my coaching with him was he asked me this question, how do you want your life to look and feel? And kind of didn't know what he meant, but, Basically, then he gave me homework, and I had to go home, and I was supposed to spend some time to 
write down how do I want my life to look and feel and you know what is that what does that mean to me like how do I physically want to be do I want to lose weight or do I want to work out and how do I want to spend my time do I want to be spending time with my family or going on vacations or working more or whatever um who do I want to be with do I want to spend more time with my friends or with my family or with my girlfriend and basically how do you want your life to look and feel um and then I came back to him. I had prepared this big, long document. I had written it out, and we went through it. And he said, all right, your homework for this week is you have to go and write down how do you want your life to look and feel. And he literally made me go and do it all again. I think the, I think the point of that was that it's a really important question that you should really take some time to think about. You know, And we're going to get into that a little bit with our investor guest that's in here. And you know, he was a person who had a job previously, and then he wanted to change his job and become an investor. And I'm guessing at some point in his mind, he said, how do I want my life to look and feel? And he kind of made a change. So it's neat. Um, so take some time, ask yourself, how do you want your life to look and feel? And maybe write it down, maybe send it to a friend or maybe just keep it personal to yourself. Um, what Trey also always says is what you think about brings about. I think what that means is kind of whatever you focus on in your life is what you're going to have. So if you focus on the negative, if you look in the mirror and think I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm ugly, you're probably going to play in this world like you're stupid, you're fat, and you're ugly, and you're not going to you know, make something of your life. You're not going to maybe reach for the goals that you are probably capable of accomplishing. So I should change that and say what you think about brings about could mean that if you think positively, if you set goals for yourself and you work to accomplish those goals, you're going to reach your goals. So. I want to grow up and be just like Trey. I keep talking about him. So um, just a realtor tip. You know, this is the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. So I was showing properties this weekend, and I wanted to share a realtor tip. I have this thing that I do where I, th I think sometimes it's hard for me to not apply my own perspectives or my own wants or my own needs to properties that I'm showing. And it's, it's interesting for me to kind of take a step back and remember that I need to be open-minded. And I learned something from a client this weekend where we pulled up to a house, we were looking at a bunch of houses and we pulled up to one of them. And I was thinking to myself, this will not work. You know, we hadn't even gone inside yet, but the condition I wasn't impressed by the street I it was on, I wasn't impressed by, um, the general size of it I wasn't impressed by. You know, I knew that they were moving from a much larger house from a different city to our city. I just expected that they weren't going to like the house. And I think I even started to say things like, oh, you know, let's just look at it anyway, just in case. And I'm try still trying to get a feel of what you guys are looking for. So, But we went into the house, and my client was actually really, really positive. I was pleasantly surprised to the point of, well, su being surprised, I guess, but you know, he was saying, oh, I think we could make this work. You know, I think we could, yes, we have two sofas, but we could just put one here and maybe put the other one in the basement or something, uh, you know. Oh, yes, the kitchen's small, but I think we could make it work, you know. And I was surprised by how how open-minded and positive he was about it. And I think I want to take a lesson from him about being open-minded and being positive, but also wanting to give a lesson to myself and to realtors out there you know, be open-minded. It's it's not necessarily what you want. You have to help your clients find the best thing for them. All right, next up, we're going to bring in Jeff Merkel, and uh, I'm going to go get him now. So batten the hatches, prepare yourself, and get out your notepaper because I'm sure we're going to talk about some good stuff. Thanks very much. All right, up next, we're going to bring in Jeff Merkel. He's a realtor here at Herman London, but he's also the owner, CEO, president Chief Operating Officer of TMF Homes, LLC. Is that right, Jeff? Is that your title? Uh, sure, that works. I'll go with all the above. Okay, so what we wanted to bring you in here for today was we just wanted to get some more information from you because you are a master rehabber, flipper, wholesaler. Do you buy and hold at all? I do not buy and hold yet, but that is in my near future. Okay, that's in your near future. And one of the things I, I'm just going to dive right in. You know, we can talk about a lot of stuff. Dive right in. We're excited to have you here today. Thanks for coming. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Uh, but I don't want to waste your time. So I know that you are a guy right now. You like to buy properties. You you rehab the heck out of them, right? I've seen them from beginning, middle, and end, and you really change a whole lot about the properties, right? That That is my my. Forte, and then you yes. sell them. Yes. Do you ever think, man, I'm just going to move right into this place. This is so dang nice. I've actually thought that a couple of times. Really? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, well, one of the things that I kind of want to get into with you is helping people understand how they can do this. And I think that they can help to 
the thing that can help them understand kind of like where to start is by understanding how the money flows. Because I hear a lot of people that say, man, I'd love to rehab someday. I'd love to flip a house someday. I'd love to do that someday, you know. So what happened with you? You just all of a sudden won the lottery one day and bought your first property or what? No, actually, um, I, I learned one very important word. Okay. Leverage. Ooh, leverage. All right. I like the sound of that. Go on. It doesn't necessarily take, uh, you know, a, a, a pocket full of money. You don't have to have a huge bank account full of money. As long as you've got the right connections and you know the right people that have uh, money available to lend, borrowers, um, you borrow the money from your investor and you use somebody else's money to rehab your property. So when you when you got started, what did you do? Did you read a book that you want to recommend? Did you go to some class or something like that? Or how did you kind of get started in this I game? I actually, um, it, it's funny you ask, uh, none of the above actually. Uh, I was talking with a, a friend of a neighbor, and uh, we were actually working in his backyard uh, one weekend installing a patio uh, or putting a patio in. And, and at this uh, time you were a police officer? Yes, I was. Okay. And, uh, you know, told him about my future you know, ideas. And he said that he was interested in doing the same. And, uh, I, I did not take him seriously. Um, but within a matter of a few weeks, we were putting a plan together to, uh, to do our first rehab. So together. something you had come across something in your life that's made you say, Hey, I think I want to do a rehab. And you were just kind of talking about it at this point. Like I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. They, they have an idea and they like to talk about it. Correct. That's what you're saying. You were just talking to your neighbor, your um, neighbor's friend. Correct. And what happened? He had some money sitting around that he didn't he did. know what to do with? Yes. And uh, he decided that he, he'd been wanting to do the same thing. Um, and if the two of us went in together, uh, we, we could make this happen. And we did. So did you find that you and him had the same set of skills or different set of skills? Different sets of skills. You're the guy who deals with the contractors and stuff. He's the guy who writes the checks? Or how does that work? Correct. Uh, he, he does have some uh, construction background. Um and he utilized some of his own skills through the, the rehab as well. But, yes, we both have different sets of skills. He has his specialties. I had mine, and we used our our own uh, skills to forward our project. Okay, so you guys were out there drinking beers, working on this patio, and you said, let's meet again, let's talk about this. And you set up a very serious business meeting together probably, and you are both like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this thing, and – and what did you do? Did you guys make an operating agreement together? Or? Yes, we did. Um, it, it actually was not as serious as you make it sound to be. Uh -huh. It was very, okay. very informal, uh, very fun and relaxed. But, yes, we came up with an operating agreement, uh, did a little bit of research, uh, had some paperwork drawn up, and uh, the two of us went in as two separate entities um, and worked together. So is he a co-owner of TMF Homes? He is not. He is a separate entity. Um, He's his own separate entity. He is his own separate entity. So the two of us went in as owners together. Okay. So then tell me about the that first deal that you did. If if I can ask, if I ever ask anything that's too, you know, personal, I guess, just let me know. But on the first house, were you guys 50-50 owners of the house? Correct. Uh, we, we went on title as joint owners to protect the interest of both parties uh, when it came to sale time should something go south or have some issues. So you have your own LLC. He has his own LLC. I know we're not attorneys. I'm just kind of asking a little little bit of a legal question. Did both of your LLCs own 50% of this house, or did you guys both own 50% of an LLC that owned 100% of the house? We were both owners of LLCs and or sole proprietorships, whatever, um, and then our respective businesses were joint owners of, a of property. the property okay. in this deal. Now, you know, every deal is different. Every deal is you know, different. Yeah. I, I've got deals right now currently where, you know, the, the properties that I buy, I'm 100% owner. My investors uh, take a lien position on the property. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get into that in a second, but I want to kind of dive deep into your first house, if you don't mind. You guys were driving around looking online or find did you find a realtor or were you, you weren't licensed at this time were you no, I was not licensed uh used an uh, used a realtor with a with a real estate agency local to the area okay and you you've how and tell me about the little bit about the first house how much was it where was it how much work did it need uh it was in a municipality in the county of st louis 
Um, it, it was a smaller bungalow, two-bedroom, one-bath, approximately 950-square-foot home. Okay. Good starter home. Uh, we were into purchase roughly twenty four, twenty five thousand 25000 ish if I remember right. Uh-huh. And uh, we put about fifteen to seventeen, if I remember right, into um, the rehab. Uh, we sold that property at for seventy seven thousand, if I recall. Okay, uh, and, and we each, we each made approximately uh, seventeen. 18,000 ish, if I remember right. I mean, this sounds exactly like something we could make a TV show out of, right? Two guys buy a property, go through the rehab process, sell it, and make money. I'm picturing at the bottom of the screen right now total profit, 34,000 or whatever the numbers would be there. It was something very similar to that, yes. Okay, that's yeah. great. I didn't I didn't know that you were going to give me that detailed information about the profit I there, but I appreciate on it. it. <laughs> Might have to edit this out. <laughs> okay, so but then do you guys did you take out a loan for the rehab part or did your partner just have all forty grand ready to go? Um in this situation I funded the rehab portion. So he purchased the property. I funded the rehab. You funded the rehab. You guys Worked you did together. some more of the work for the rehab, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then you guys split it fifty fifty. Correct. Okay, so the problem is for our people that are listening that you know don't have a dime to spend on a rehab. What would you have done if you didn't have that money sitting around for that rehab? Because it sounds like you might have just you had seventeen or eighteen thousand sitting around to spend. I was I was lucky. Yes, very fortunate at the time. Tell to, me what to, someone could do if they wanted to rehab a house that didn't have seventeen or eighteen thousand sitting around. If they were to put a credibility packet together uh, and. What is that? Something to show an investor uh, what their worth is, that they are somebody that this investor can place their trust in, that they can work with, uh, show them what skills they have, what they can bring to the table, um, and offer this investor to help the investor um, want to work with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, Show them what they are capable of bringing to the table, uh, you can use the investor then to um, fund your rehab, fund your purchase, the acquisition of the property, and not have any money come out of your own pocket. Okay, so someone who is interested in doing a rehab, they need to probably do a little bit more than just think about it and just talk to their neighbor's friend or whatever, right? Maybe they need to read a couple books, come to a couple classes, that type of thing. Maybe even go as far as finding a property. And then once they've, you're saying if they came to an investor, maybe someone like you, they could say, hey, Jeff, I found this property. Here's what we can buy it for. I've met a couple contractors over there. Here's what I think we can rehab it for. And so, you know, all in, we need $50,000, and I think we can sell it for X amount. You're saying that's they should do all that legwork, and then an investor would say, how can I not? They have exactly. They have to do the legwork. They have to know somewhat, and I would say a little more than somewhat. They have to know what they're doing, and they have to show the investor that they know what they're doing. They have to know their numbers. They have to know the value of the property, or have somebody who works with them to sh- that helps them know what the value of a property is, what they can acquire it for, what the rehab costs are, and, and, and be solid. And, and you can't just guess. Or have uh, you know okay. some haphazard idea in your mind of what you think it's going to cost to do something. You've got to have realistic expectations of what it's going to cost to rehab a property. Factoring in, you know, incidentals, unknown things that you're going to run into, uh, and, and still be able to leave yourself a bit of a profit margin and be able to pay your investor back for the money that you're borrowing from him. So someone could come to you and they could say, "Hey, I want to buy this house. Here it is. It's listed on the MLS." It's $50,000 or whatever the price is that's on the MLS for sale. They could say, hey, I met this two or three contractors over there. They all walked through it. They all gave me bids. And this is so, well, let's take the average bid. It's going to be $30,000 for the rehab. And then, hey, I also met with this realtor who gave me information about six homes that have sold in the area in the last six months that are similar to what the property is going to be once we're done. And they're all selling for one forty. Let's do this. Potentially, yes. That 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 that's the right idea. That's 
what needs to be brought to the table. And, and, and that's part of what goes into the credibility packet uh, with an investor, yes. Okay, so I mean, it's I just like to to think that someone who, you know, everyone's always like, oh, the rich get richer or whatever. You have to have money to make money or whatever kind of thing. And then real estate, in a lot of ways, is one thing that it doesn't necessarily take money to make money, right? Not necessarily. Like if you have your own money, then you might make more money because you don't have to pay interest on the loans that you're taking or whatever, or you don't have to give half of your money to your partner kind of thing, right? Correct. But it doesn't take money to make money necessarily. It takes a little smarts. Takes smarts, yes, and and, and, and and ultimately, yes, it does take money, but not necessarily your own your money. money. Okay, okay, cool. So, anyway, uh, so you did that first one, and you're like, "Oh man, this is great." Did you quit your job that day, or did you still have your job? I, I actually, uh, I quit my full time job uh, partway into that first rehab, realizing uh, I, I could not do both, uh, rehabbing full time and working full time. It was just way too much. Uh, and ultimately, I, I was wanting to get into real estate investing, and I took that opportunity, and uh, with support of family and friends and uh, several months of planning and, and talking, uh, decided to take that leap and left the work world and uh, the the 9 to 5 or the 20. It's not work anymore, right? I I've seen it, you sitting back there at your desk all day, not working, right? Oh, no. it, it's definitely work, it, it, but it's a different kind of work. It's uh, it, it's enjoyable, you know. You, you, you there, there's a lot of flexibility and freedoms. Um, so for you, the path was: I want to be able to quit my job and I want to pursue this thing full time. If you wanted to do it a little bit differently, and let's say you you were a police officer before, let's say you still loved that, you probably could have been involved in the rehab business. But maybe your role just would have been a little bit different. Correct. You know, if, if I wasn't looking at doing it full time, and I wasn't looking to hurry up and get something done in a short amount of time to hurry up uh-huh. and turn it around, if I had more time to hang on to it, you know, um, you know, if I had six months or a year to slowly work at it while working another job, yes, you know, you could slowly transition into something uh, if that's what one was looking to do, or just carry you know, real estate investing or, you know, rehabbing as, as a part-time job, they could do that. Okay. I mean, you know, I, you can tell that I like to kind of tell people like you can do it too, you know, and, and I don't, I really, my personality is I'm always trying to help people like kind of grow themselves or get to the next step or whatever. And it's, and it disappoints me or whatever. When I hear someone say that, Oh, I can't do that. Or I'll do that someday. Once X, Y, and Z happens magically, you know. So I love a story like yours, where you said, "Hey, I want to do this," and you you found a way to do it. And so, tell me after that, after you bought that first house, you sold it, you were loving it, right? You're like, "This is great. Let's go buy a steak dinner." Kind of what was next for you? What what's been the what's been your journey since then? Uh, I, I've actually gone and done some wholesale deals, uh, acquiring pop properties and then reselling them to other investors. Um, for marginal profits, just not doing anything to them, uh-huh. uh, and just rehabbing. Just uh, kind of what? Do, what do they call that? You're the um, prairie dog. Is that the prairie dogging? What do they call that? Oh, uh, yes, I, I know what you're talking about, but I, I can't I, think I, of the I, word yeah, either. I can't. People either, are always uh, like, "Hey, I'll be your prairie dog," but that's no, not it. It's not prairie dog. It's uh, your hound dog. Uh, whatever. No, um, so somebody is out there. It'll it'll come to me. You found a deal for whatever reason. You didn't want to do it. Maybe it was time. You didn't want to rehab it. Maybe it was timing. Maybe you already had plenty of other ones going on. Whatever. So then you just sold it and to another and, rehabber. And, and sometimes it has nothing to do with that. Sometimes you know it, it, it's just easier. You know, I've I actually had a, a, a buddy of mine who was a real estate investor, and all he does is wholesale deals. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get me out of rehabbing and in pushing me towards just wholesaling. So I thought, you know what, I'll try a few wholesale deals to see what the wholesale side of you know, real estate business is about. And, uh, you know, while, while it's fun and it's nice, um, you know, the, there's not the headache and the stress of sometimes working with contractors or not meeting deadlines or, you know, upsetting investors and things like that. Um, it, it took away from part of what I enjoy doing okay. in the business. So I, I, I still will do them from time to time, but it, it's not where my, my passion lies. Well, it's neat that you... You know, you tried it, like, right? I mean, there's so many different ways someone can make money in real estate. Correct. 
and it's I I think I can admire the fact that you wanted to try the couple of the different ways. You know, over the next 10, 20, 30 years or whatever, you'll probably try a lot more of the different ways. Sure. So you did a couple of wholesales. You did a couple more flips. Yes. All right. Where do you focus on your flips? Um, I, I focus actually anywhere, uh, any, anywhere within the St. Louis metropolitan area. Um, St. Anywhere Charles you can counties. drive to? It, it, yeah, anywhere I can drive reasonably, you know, usually within about a 45-mile a um, radius. You did one in um, Illinois, too. Correct. What part of Illinois? Uh, Granite City. We were excited for that to be the first, when we opened our Herman London, Illinois office, that was our first sale, was selling that house for you, right? Correct, it was. Yep. Okay. So uh, one of the interesting things about you to me, there's a lot of interesting things about you, Mr. Merkel, but one of them is that you do not drive a pickup truck. I do not. How do you fit all of your tools and hammers and saws and wood and everything in your car? I, I keep a few tools that I might use myself from time to time in the vehicle, um, but I have tried not to be the guy that swings the hammer. Okay. Uh, I, I hire folks to work for me and to rehab my properties. Okay, so you don't necessarily swing a hammer like you said. No, I I, I started that way in the beginning. That was how that first project went. You did. You did do the rehab that my, first my, time. My partner and I did the work ourselves. Oh, wow, the okay. The two of us, yes. Okay. Um, and, and then transitioned into subbing work out to other guys. Would you suggest a first-timer do it the way you're doing it now or the way that you did it for your first time? For their on just on their first time, I would, and, and and this may go against some of what some real estate gurus and people teach you um, how to get out of the business, stop working for your business, uh-huh. and work on your business. But I would tell anybody, despite what anybody says, it would be who of you to actually work in the rehab at least your first one or two rehabs yourself. It gives you a better understanding of what goes on, and you know what to expect of your contractors. When your contractor tells you he ran into this problem or that problem or he couldn't do this or he couldn't do that or why it's going to cost so much to do such and such, you'll have a better understanding and not think that, hey, you know, this, this guy's trying to, you know, pull one over on me. Okay, so it was kind of like you went to real estate college, and via, in some ways, via the street, you know, right by by doing it by exactly. swinging the hammer yes. by saying this doesn't fit. Let's run to Home Depot and talk to George from Home Depot and whatever and see what piece we need. Sure. And then you learned, okay, that's how that works, and so on and so forth. Yes. Okay, so now, when, like you said, when a contractor comes to you and they say we're going to need this or that, and it's going to be ten thousand dollars, you have a better understanding of if he's trying to take advantage of you or not. You do. And you do you have? Would you say you have a, more of a sympathy for their timelines? Um, yes and no. Um, it, it depends upon the phase that we were in, uh-huh. the what what trade is being performed at the time. You know, uh, some are a little bit more forgiving than others. Okay, so. I mean, I, I can. I always feel like when I'm talking to someone like you, I can take this conversation in so many directions, you know. And this is how I, I, I learn too. My answers can go in so many directions as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us the best answer, all right, and the right one too, you know. But um, I guess I'm curious if you, from do, from doing that first rehab, you learned probably some valuable lessons about maybe the order of operations, right? Do you, yes. Do you tear down the walls and then do the floors and then paint and then add the light light fixtures or whatever? You know, I guess you learned a lot about the order that you wanted to do things in. Yes. What is the first thing you do? In some, I mean, it depends. You know, I myself prefer to try and work on the exterior first. Um, You know, getting as much of the demo work done as possible. Demo interior or exterior demo? Either or, yes. Try Try to get just demo in general done. That's one of the first things. Okay. And then work on the outside of the structure in uh for two reasons one to protect the inside of the structure from the outside elements number one and so you want to make sure the outside is rainproof or whatever rainproof windproof waterproof buttoned okay. up as much as possible to make sure that you know the inside is protected 
Uh, the other is if it is distressed or worn property, something that is not really appealing to the eye, it makes the neighbors feel better, uh, makes the community feel better to see a nicer looking house. So the sooner you get it better looking, um, the, the more competent people are in and around the area. It, it helps beautify it if it's been a rundown or worn property. So you like it when the neighbors kind of appreciate what you're doing. Correct. Correct. And I've heard from people that if you get out there and you start improving your property, the next thing you'll know the neighbors are outside trying to trying to improve their property too. Is there any sense to that? Uh, the, I, I would say there is some truth to that. It's not necessarily the case all the time, uh, but I have noticed with a few projects where if you start making something look better, uh, it will and has gotten some neighbors in the area to work on their place and, and spruce it up as well. Yes. Well, Jeff, what is the biggest challenge that you have? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. I don't know. Um, I, it's, I have to think about that for a moment. Well, let me, let me, I should have gave you more of a leading question. Would you say that finding the next property to do, to, to flip or whatever is the biggest challenge? It is at times. Uh, I, I feel like there are times where I struggle trying to find the next property, the next good deal, waiting for it to come along. Um, and then there's other times when you're not looking, when you're not expecting them, they seem to be in abundance. Um, so, okay. How much of your business comes from doing podcasts like these? Uh, zero. Okay. Well, maybe, may, maybe more now. Let's see if we can change that. <laughs> if someone from this podcast was going to call you, what would you want them to say to you? Any number of things, actually. Uh, I, I'm always looking to work with new investors, first and foremost. I mean, in, investors help keep me in business. Um, investors meaning people that have money. People that have money. People that are looking to make returns on their money. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to show them and talk to them and tell them what I can do to help them um, bring a return to the money that they may have sitting in a CD or in a savings account that might not be making much money. Is there like a general percentage you promise people, or is it kind of depend on the deal? Uh, there, there, there's a rough range that I'd like to work in, um, but that's negotiable as well. Um, I, I usually work in the 8 to 12, maybe 14% range. Okay, so I just said uh, that you – kind of return that you promised them. I guess they, you guys do do paperwork and all that type of thing, right? Correct, yes. Paperwork is, is drawn up, and you know there, there are rates of return depending upon the deal. Okay, so if someone can call you, then you want someone to call you and go, hey, Jeff, I've just got tons of cash sitting around. What can I do with it? That'd be great. That would be great. What else could they call you and say that would please you? If anybody has a distressed or worn property in their neighborhood that they would like to see cleaned up, uh, that they, you know don't think anybody's doing anything with um what did you say distressed or what or worn worn, just something that that, like deferred maintenance kind of thing neglected something that that seems to maybe look a little run down might be kind of an eyesore to the community maybe so they can just call you and say hey i saw this house it's ugly go there or uh i i i mean if they provide me an address I, i can look up information i can try and source ownership make contact with people or if they know somebody who owns a property maybe they even own a property there's one in their family they've inherited uh-huh. uh, they're looking to sell um, I'm always looking for my next deal whether it be off the MLS listing you know the real Realtors listings or whether it be from private individuals we've all seen those billboards that say like Ugg buys ugly houses or whatever you know and 10 years ago when I started seeing those or 12 years or whatever, I didn't quite understand that. I'm like, what kind of a terrible marketing is this? Who would call them and say, hey, my house is ugly? you know. But what I'm understanding now is the the worse the house is, the happier that you are, basically, right? Don't call you with a house that is in this amazing condition that's just been rehabbed to go, hey, Jeff, I heard you buy houses. Do you want to buy my house? I just rehabbed it. It's Let's pay top dollar for it, right? I'll be honest with you. Just like anybody else in any business, we do have to make money. And I cannot purchase a property from somebody at full retail and expect to stay in business. So you want to buy a property that you can add value to? Correct. A property that I can add value to that somebody is 
able to make money off of as well. You know, everybody needs to walk away making a little bit of something. Everybody needs to be a winner. Okay, so you want someone to call you that says, I've got some cash to invest. Is there a minimum? Like, don't but don't bother you for under $1,000 or don't bother you for under $10,000 or what? Uh, I prefer to deal with folks who have at least 100000 at least. Oh, uh, 100000 Preferably more like 200 Okay. hope we've got a ton of those listening to our podcast today. <laughs> so you you want someone to call you if they see an ugly house in their neighborhood or if they are if they have an inherited property or something like that that they want to sell? Inherited property uh, if they're going through a divorce. Okay, Jeff, let me tie a bow on this like Trey would always say. Tell me how I can get a hold of you. I am available through email, tmfhomes at yahoo.com. Uh, I'm available by phone. Okay. 636-359-9410. TMF Homes is on Facebook. Also via website, tmfhomesllc.com. Can I see any of the work you've done there? You can see that on Facebook. Okay. Is that www.facebook.com? And then just search TMF Homes. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to list all of your properties for sale for you in the future. No answer means yes. Great. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Or I will list my own and you can bring the buyers. Okay. That's perfect. Well, thank you for coming in today and I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, that was great. I really enjoyed having Jeff in the studio. It's always cool to talk to different investors and different realtors and different rehabbers and and different uh, people in general and get their perspectives on real estate. So please give Jeff a call for all your you know, real estate rehabbing investment type of needs. And uh, thanks for listening to the show this week. The next show will be our last one of the year. We're going to try to do it a day or two before Christmas. And so tune in and please submit your questions. Don't forget, if you have any questions, just send them to podcast at hermanlondon.com. You can email them to me or check us out on Facebook. You can send us your questions there too. And uh, thanks very much. Take care.